I'll comment on the economy because that's important for us middle-class investors. It's getting harder and harder to come by middle-class investments. Take, for example, the income needed to buy a house. Well, it now takes $111,000 to afford a house, assuming the payment won't exceed 30% of the buyer's gross income, which I hope, certainly hope it wouldn't. But median household income is only $78,000, right? Which is 30% below that threshold. Now, just Three years ago in 2020, you only needed 60,000. Think about that. We've gone from 60,000 to 111,000 to afford the same house. Now, what does it mean? Well, let's take a look here. 85% rise in income in three years. The gap between median income and income needed to afford a house is 25% larger than it was in 2008. So what's the long-term plan here? Well, we know that large developers are getting into rental-only developments. I think that there's a plan to get us into rental-only developments, but here's the issue. Number one, there's been inflation of real estate values. Number two, interest rates have skyrocketed. Now, a half percent mortgage is not uncommon. And strangely enough, the rental market in the Tampa area is actually more expensive than the rental market back in Los Angeles. That's the crazy part. A friend of mine looked it up. She looked at her old neighborhood. I think it was in Tarzana. It was like, wow, Tampa is actually more expensive. So what you have is desirable places have very high demand. That's great. But the rise in interest rates makes it harder and harder to get a home. But here's the most interesting part. In Florida, flood insurance is going crazy. And this is going to happen throughout the desirable coastal communities. I've heard a rumor that there are homes in Miami that are incurring $120,000 a year flood insurance bill per home. And insurance companies are, they're the ones that really drive everything. Governments can be bought, but insurance companies, they're stuck with paying the bill. They're harder to uh, buy off. In my condo development, the insurance is $220,000, but that's spread over 87 units. So it's doable. But with what's happening in the floodplains with individual homes, now only the rich will be able to do this. What this means, I think, is that it's going to slow the velocity of the real estate market and it's going to turn into a renter's business. Long story short, access to real estate as an investment for the middle class is dropping. Welcome aboard. It's a pleasure to see you today. It's going to be a very, very interesting year-end briefing. Can't believe it's the end of 2023. What an exciting year it's been so far. But we have a couple more days. You know, anything can happen. Anyway, stand by for some good reporting here. Let's take a look at what's going on here. It is December 28th, briefing number 242, the last briefing of 2023. Marcus Walker says, I was thinking about putting my shares in a trust with my life insurance for generations of wealth. What do you think? Um... I'm not an investment advisor. Life insurance, it has its benefits because of tax advantages. So I would say that you have, if you have life insurance, um, you know what? I'm actually going to get Ken, Ken and the team to look at this. Take your shares, put it in a trust with life insurance. This is an interesting combination, actually. So... We'll take that offline, Marcus. Maybe we can get you an answer soon. Again, we're not going to be doing it as, as investment professionals, but this is very, very interesting as a, a direction that investors might take. All right. Thank you for that. Of course, the usual safe harbor statement and disclaimer. And we do the review of selected items from Twitter. Uh, don't take them all for that. You can subscribe to my RigZack on X and you'll get it all in real time. But this is kind of the commented version here. So starting back at the beginning of the week, there was an interesting video. Let me uh, go ahead and play it. Why not? Let's, let's see what that's all about. There was an article that I published about 
learning from mistakes. And this is kind of a big philosophy of mine because I built a whole consultancy in the early 2000s on the concept of mistake-based marketing, making a practice of it. And in fact, I have a substack, and this was the article. My stack is called Break to Build. What the story was, was basically that on techtransform.com, my archive site, there's a whole story about this. Basically, we lost our budgets in the year 2000. We had to test market our way to success. But guess what? Because we now had websites, we could throw them up see if it worked. And, and it said right here, you have to be very, very close to the marketplace, sitting on a sales room floor, pitching the product yourself, et cetera. Now we do this currently. This is what everyone does. We build these advertising funnels and we're constantly tweaking them and so forth. Well, it actually started happening right around the year 2000. Ironically, because we ran out of money for doing formal research, which I think is in a way, a good thing. You know, there's a saying that good strategy comes from tactics that worked. If you do a lot of tactics and you learn from what works and you eventually get to a good strategy, that's one way to look at it. And here is an interesting story about ancient Roman aqueducts. And there'll be another picture a little bit later. But basically, they knew how to bring fresh water in from all over the place to bring them mostly to Rome, but also places like Turkey and so forth. But their water treatment was not great. <laughs> they basically dumped it. And, you know, the, actually, the living conditions in, in places like Rome were, were pretty poor. The regular people lived in what you might call a doghouse. But they had this down, and these aqueducts, some of them are still up and running. All right, here's an interesting Adam Taggart on Substack talks about what's going on. Well, real estate, the hot bottom one-third of the market in the Northeast and Midwest is the only reason national home prices are positive this year. That's an interesting piece of data. So in other words, the growth right now is in the affordable properties and the high end of any market. As we know from the 2008 crash, always goes first. I won't play this Tucker Carlson bit. It's Feel free to go ahead and um, it's his December 2022 clip about debt and debt has gone crazy. And what the, the basic story is that we exported all our hard labor products, all the stuff that required manpower. We pushed it out to cheap labor countries and they did great with it. They've become powers in their own right. And we became consumers and, and borrowers. But here's the problem. We couldn't get rid of building and maintaining our infrastructure, water, roads, energy, you name it. All that has been decaying. So we exported the manufacturing stuff, but we couldn't export the stuff that would stay here and at the same time, we didn't do anything about it. And I think that is a clue to why we our infrastructure is in such bad shape across the board. And I'm not just talking about water, but of course, that's that's my job. So um, the, it's, this is kind of where we, we've ended up, right? There's Romans building an aqueduct, and they, they were pretty sophisticated about that. Our own water infrastructure is crumbling. Since we can't bring back the Roman engineers, it's time to let industry do its own water management. They are, after all, are the largest polluters. Yes, indeed. All right. Now, there was a very interesting episode of the All In podcast. All In is four guys who are, I think they're all billionaires. Anyway, they are extremely successful Silicon Valley entrepreneurs. They, they launch hundreds of companies and so forth. A very good go-to at the one-hour mark in this. I'm not going to play it now, but basically here's what it says. 
it's moving away from these giant venture capital deals. And what they're what they're throwing up in the tech world is these, you know, like quickly, like don't have a lot of headcount, outsource everything to places like India, which we are starting to do ourselves. Obviously, you can't do it with the water work. You have to do the water work here. But a lot of the um, technology work and so forth is being done elsewhere increasingly for everybody. And in AI, leveraging AI is something that's only just beginning. So they don't need to go out to the VCs. Now, here's the other thing, direct crowdfunding. And that's where we are developing a real strength. And in fact, God, you'll be air taxi, $92 billion. And that was entirely crowdfunded. So this is the new elephant really is doing these combinations of crowdfunding, you know, for non-accredited investors combined with the accredited investor round in parallel. Those work beautifully. And we're, we're currently handicapped by the fact that we can't run a regulation A offering. And that is an issue that we are going to solve very, very quickly. But more to follow on that because it really has a lot of synergy. Here's why. You're... When you do regulation A, i.e., you know, anybody can invest as long as it's no more than 10% of their annual income. So you can, you can mass market that $500, $1,000 minimum investment, whatever it is, and that pays for your marketing. And then out of that group, you get a self-selection of accredited investors who then have their own, um, you know, more favorable deal because they're, they're putting in more money, obviously. And that is works very well in tandem. So you expect to hear a lot more more about that. FX Hedgers is a good X account. And they did a great job of talking about the, basically how the Fed broke the housing market. Millions of millennials who plan to rent for life while Gen Z gets the constellation price, price of high property taxes for life. Isn't that the truth? And of course, this is why the alternative is so good. Lake Baikal in Eastern Siberia owes 20%, one-fifth of all of Earth's fresh water. It's 5,000 feet deep and old, of course. But here's the thing. What, what is, it struck me, why did I post this? Because 20% of all the world's fresh water in just one lake, and yet we treat it like it's a disposable resource. All right, now here is a discussion that we're going to run a short clip as a tease. This particular uh, pod is going to be excerpted in our usual clip style. But I thought I would, Steffi, who runs Financial Fox, uh, went ahead and did a little uh, excerpt, which I'm going to play live here. So just give me a second here. If you have to use artificial intelligence for your technology, how can it be integrated? There's a whole bunch of different ways. I mean, when, when we started out, the algorithm was effectively kind of traditional physics, really. I think where artificial intelligence machine learning is particularly interesting is when you get to more and more complex deployments, if you keep building those iterations in through hard code, you're more and more increasing the chances of things going wrong as you, as you get, as you scale and get more, more 
complex. And it's that type of thing that, um, you know, our AI lends itself to very well. But like any business, I think AI is having an impact immediately around content creation, around customer service, you know, the prevalence of chatbots to kind of make solutions cheaper and deliver a better customer service, deliver the right information at the right time for customers. This is kind of like George Bush's thousand points of light kind of concept. Instead of a lot of big central systems, you've got a complete water treatment system at each location. It becomes a network of networks. And that is going to be our challenge, of course. But this is, I think, very, very promising. And then we want to take this and we want to replicate it in other financial centers as a fintech to enable water treatment without capital burden for the end users very wide. Mm -hmm. So we think that's the key to making it happen. And we are literally right now in the middle of specking this, this network management environment. And of course, it's a matter of obviously the sensors and it's a matter of, you know, subscribing and unsubscribing people and, you know, reporting quality levels. But definitely when it comes to load balancing and so forth and finding, for example, as you say, you can sense water losses, etc. That's super interesting as we start to create this network of networks. Let's look at the US, which seems to have a bigger problem in water management than other countries. Why is that? What's the problem in the US with water management? Well, that was a tease clip and it was a very interesting one because he had invited an AI entrepreneur who created a device that can detect leaks in a home and it sells it to the insurance companies so that they can get ahead of problems where leaks can become worse, et cetera. So very interesting product. But of course we got into how we are gonna to have to manage water on demand, the whole network management of water treatment, which is a very similar problem. It will involve AI, it will involve all that. That's gonna be a big part of the, that's why we're, we have to acquire. We don't have, I mean, I'm a software guy, but I'm a software product manager. I'm not a programmer. So, um, uh, you know, I, I've marketed software. So what we really need to do is bring in a strong software capability. And that's part of our acquisition plans, as I went over last week with Bill Charneski. All right. So you can, again, go to RigZack on my X and you can click on the full episode if you want to watch it, or simply wait for us to do these little clips of the highlights. Keith Rutten says, that's great that AI is growing, needing more databases, needing more clean water to cool. Isn't that the truth? Data centers are booming. You're absolutely right. Okay. And then this comes back to this uh, story that uh, FX Hedgers, they did that story last week and he came back to it. Peter St. Ong is a very good commentator. And he really went, took it all the way back to Lyndon Johnson's Great Society. And basically over time, our, the enemy is not the market, it's the federal government really. So my comment was that real estate is constantly being manipulated, like oil, like gold, like everything. Bitcoin, everything's being manipulated by the big holders and, and by governments. Water is still new and it is not being messed with. That is decentralized water. So this is a good idea. Get in water and get some peace of mind. All right. So with that, I wanted to go to a very interesting review uh, how we did with revenue in 2023 and wh where we expect to end up. Now, I want to make it clear. These are estimates, right? Estimates. They There's no guarantee this is going to come out the way I'm showing you. Basically, what I'm going to do is show you a live spreadsheet that we operate off of. Now, what is revenue? 
uh, when we say revenue, we really mean recognized revenue or gap revenue, general accepted accounting procedures revenue. And what it means is that you get money in, that's not revenue, that's just a sale, right? And it is actually a liability because you owe goods against that sale before you can hold. If you don't deliver the goods, you got to return the money. So that's, you have the money for now, but you have to deliver. As you deliver in the, the milestones, you know, there's usually percentile completion stages that you get paid along the way in these large projects. Then you deliver, let's say, blueprints. Okay, boom, blueprints. You get paid 25% of the total for blueprints. Thank you very much. Now you can count that 25% as revenue. So think of revenue as a mix of sales and production. It's a very honest measure of how a company's doing. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and flip over to that spreadsheet, looking just at Q4, where we stand in Q4, because you can see Q1, two, three, and four, it looks like we're gonna end up right around the, call it $6.9 million for the year. You can see this here. So the revenue, and I'll, I'll show you a graph, so don't worry, this is it. But here's what's important. We, we, we look at revenue, against backlog because backlog is the stuff you sold that you have not yet delivered, right? So it's future revenue. So it's, this is stuff that's in the bag. You, you made the sale and you invoiced it and it's all good, but you are not able to count it as revenue. So now 2022 was a huge year for us. And I'll show you in the graph in a, in a second. We, we had all time high ATH of over $10 million with an additional backlog of 6.9 million, giving us a total of 17 million, amazing. Now, 2023, we spent a, we worked very hard to absorb that because you know the 2022 jump was in large part due to a one single $5 million sale by PWT, which, which you know, it distorts everything. So, but we didn't want to go back to our usual, you know, $4 million a year level. We wanted to stay on trend. And so we battled hard to do so throughout the year. And so you can see on the right here with, right here, you have revenue. Well, here's a 6.3. Again, we'll, we'll see if it comes in at, you see it, call it that, but this is all still very preliminary. So, you know, it could be that, but I'm just gonna leave it as is because this is without any of the predictions for the last few days of the quarter. Um, and let's take a look at what happened over this. This gives you an idea of what these things look like. These are contracts. I've, I've hidden the name of the contracts, obviously, but it gives you an idea. First of all, PWT, the size of deals that they do, you can see that they range widely from you know, $40,000 to 2 million five, right? So let's take this 2 million five project, which is still open. And we have a milestone here that we had on 15 December and remaining billings were 1.9 million, but we also had to project the costs for 1.1 million, right? So that tells you that down here, 3.9 is the remaining billings, 2.9 is the costs. Well, that's actually a pretty good ratio, right? 
If we just do the math on that, let's take a look here. It's about 25% margin, right? Not, not too shabby for a big project. So I'll do it the other way because I kind of did it upside down, but here you go. Putting it another way, it's 1.33. So it's 33% more billings than costs. Let's put it that way. Um, so this is a very important um, dashboard for us. Here's the, the modular water one. And as you can see, they, the average job is 273,000. I'm looking down at the bottom right here, if you can see that. Whereas the average for PWT is 420,000. So almost double the average. And why? Because modular water systems is these modular, like hotcakes, right? Just pop them out, pop them out, pop them out. Whereas PWT is custom systems and they tend to be larger. So again, that's the business there. All right, so what does this translate to with the actual business? Well, let's take a look here at the actual graph, remembering all data are estimates. Now, we forecasted, as you can see right here, we had roughly a million dollars a quarter in 2018 through 2021, pretty flat with the orange that was modular water starting to starting to take off slowly and then it got ahead of steam in 2022 combination of mws really starting to make business plus pwt having a huge so in this particular year mws was about two million and pwt was about eight so 10 million three that was the number and if you go to the far right, the gray is where you see water demand start to kick in because we actually have in uh, 2023, uh, we have a small amount of water on demand, but we are concentrating on this core business right here because we want to make sure that this graph comes to fruition. Well, as you can see, the forecast was 7.337 million and looks like we'll come in about 6.86 million, which is close to it within half a million dollars, about $470,000 of the target. And if you look at the trend lines, the orange trend line is modular water systems, and the blue trend line is PWT. Modular water systems is growing faster than PWT because, again, of standardized systems that they can pop out, especially they can send out, they can put out a lot of pump stations. These are these wells that you put in the ground to pump the water, and they are simple and fast. So that kind of tells you where we're ending up. I'm happy with that because it puts us on trend. We, are, we, we did not fall back to the $4 million range. We continue to go up. And that is in great part, look at this. If you look at MWS, well, let's take a look. The blue is progressive water. In 2021, 2023, pretty much the same, right? So what makes the difference? Modular water starts to come in, into its own, and that's why we're able to stay on trend, and it's going to continue to have a major effect. So we have high hopes for modular water, and they are well aware of that they're expected to do a lot in, I think this is a 7 million or so next year. Um, so that's going to be a big challenge for them, but they are very excited, and they're hiring like crazy. 
All right. Some quick clips. Here we go. And I think that's the key, you know, in entrepreneurship is find the real demand and don't rest until you have it. You know, there's a wonderful, wonderful uh, book called Inside the Tornado. And it describes the high-tech life cycle, right? The high-tech life cycle always starts with, I call it the nose of the armadillo, because right there at the beginning is the super early adopters, the people who actually used the Newton PDA back in the day. Right. Those people, right? They're like, they're just, they just do it because it's new. And that gets you in there. But you start progressing along the snout of the armadillo. Now you get to what's called the strategic buyers who are buying something for a good, valid competitive reason or they're legally being fined or whatever. After that, there's something called the chasm, which is something you have to leap over to get wide adoption. How do you get there? Well, at the bottom of this, as it starts rising up, the very bottom of it, something called the bowling alley, where you create a bunch of, of applications and a bunch of users. And after a while, you get critical mass and boom, it takes off. All of a sudden, you have a tornado of adoption, right? Now, that's very common in high tech. Back in the 80s, when I had a computer company in New York City, um, we, we saw two competitors show up for, for big enterprise databases. One was called Ingress and one was called Oracle. And Oracle did not work. Ingress worked great. Well, guess who survived? Oracle. Oracle. Why? Because Larry Ellison was smart enough to go for the adoption. Interesting. And, and, and the users are like, well, it doesn't work too well, but everybody's buying it. So it'll get worked out. It'll get figured out. Whereas Ingress is like, we will not ship anything if it does not work. You know, and I'm, they're not German. I'm not. <laughs> that was not a German thing. I was just saying that they had this conservative attitude. Right. And um, as a result, you've got to go for the velocity. When there's a tornado of adoption, then it's a matter of how many seats can you get? How fast? Yeah. It's, it's, it's um, market share. It's not no longer about proving the technology, but it's about who has the momentum. And then at the, at the top of that curve, the back end of it is the conservative guys and the skeptics. And you don't market to them. Why? Because they'll follow. Yeah. They'll follow the trend, right? So people say to me, oh, why don't you go get a grant from Tallahassee? I'm like, nope, not going there. I'm not doing it. Because they'll put me through the ringer and they'll give the, they'll give the deal to their golfing buddy anyway. So no thanks. We deal with users that are desperate. And I think that's the key, you know, in entrepreneurialship is find, find the, the, where's the real demand and, and don't rest until you have it. It's too easy to just go, okay, this is good. I'm making, you know, um, environmental test kits, but nobody's buying environmental test kits, but I'm making environmental test kits, right. you know? Um, you got to find the traction. And that's, I think, the key. I love Inside the Tornado. That book was transformative for me. I, I refer to it a lot. And it really, for me, this idea of trying to cross a chasm from um, strategic buyers, that is companies, uh, customers that want the complete solution and do it right and give it, get it right. And, and they're doing it to get an edge on the competition or to deal with, as I said in the podcast, they're getting fined or whatever it is. And that's our current audience for modular water systems. That's what we have is we have people who are strategic buyers. And then you have to jump the chasm and go into what's called the, the bowling alley. And what that is, is you, you become 
dominant in applications. A brewery getting its water treatment, a chip fabrication from one chip fab, fab, chip fab to more chip fabs. One that we're doing really well with, in fact, it's this a current bowling alley thing we're doing right now is housing developments. We're, we're starting to multiply them because they're, they're, we're, we're making the installations and then those are successful and they lead to more, lead to more, lead to more. Okay. And then we are also doing, for example, trailer parks. We've had some uh, momentum there. So you create momentum in these different verticals, they're called, these specialties. And that eventually creates a lot of critical mass because all these different specialties, that's the bowling alley, right? And all these pins then combine to drive a tornado of adoption. So that strategy is key for high tech, but it's also key for any market domination. All right, let's take a look at the next one. And so we got into it. <laughs> it's a good thing they were a good friend of ours because it was so hard learning how to make it work. But let's say that something as you're going down that highway, there is an exit and all of a sudden somebody who you're not marketing to and is not one of your, your target customers says, we want it. And it just kind of becomes another opportunity. Do you say no to that? Do you entertain that? Or do you stay focused on what you know that your target audience is and you keep driving that direction? Well, okay, it depends if if it's, a, we, we get a lot of this over the transom, which is, hey, if you meet with so-and-so, he controls tribal lands in Oklahoma, mm. and he can get you in with the tribal people. And then there's this grant program with the U.S. Uh, Department of Interior that there's millions available. And if you work on it for five years, you're going to get there. Like, no, thank you. But if if there's a situation where, like this happened to us in the trailer park space, we were not in trailer parks, mobile home parks. But we know that this is a big problem because there's tens of thousands of them. The old school way of sanitizing your black water, as they call it, it goes into a pond. Mm -hmm. And it's called passive treatment, meaning you do nothing. And that's that green pond on the side of the road. That's the pond that, that's got all the poop coming from the mobile home park. Well, you know, state environmental protection agencies started to like, Okay, wait a minute. You you can't go on with this. It's ridiculous. Yeah, the, it's just terrible. So they started putting pressure on the mobile home parks, and it just so happened that we had, we had an opportunity that we that somebody actually knew personally was stuck with a mobile home park and was being fined by the Alabama Department of um, Environmental Protection. And so we got into it. <laughs> it's a good thing they were they were a good they were a good friend of ours because it was so hard learning how to make it work. Because it's a very nasty, you know, these ponds are mostly sediment and a little bit of water and you, your yeah. pumps get clogged and this and that and the other thing. We, we got there, we solved it, they ended up happy. And then we started selling more of these because we were in the space. So, yes, it's important to recognize uh, opportunities. Uh, at the same time, you don't want to have too many of these at the same time because that particular project lost us money. We made sure they got the result, but we spent more than they paid us. And, you know, that's the cost of, of the learning experience, but yeah. don't have 12 of these going on at the same time. You know, it's going to kill you. Well, really the, the lesson that I was talking about there was that you want to stay pointed. You don't want to have a broad, broad based attack, right? If you think of it as an army, you don't want to attack on a wide front. You want to attack on a narrow front 
and pierce through. And in this case, we we are very careful to not do too many different things that we don't know yet, right? We didn't know trailer parks. Those of you who have been with us for a long time remember the Ponster project and it it worked in the end. It was incredibly painful. Um, you can't have incredibly painful projects endlessly. You got you to kind of like get some wins. And so it's very, very important to remain focused and to get wins in select areas and really penetrate and create a reputation and some momentum in that particular industry. And I think that's the key to applying focus, especially in our industry. All right, let's take a look at the last one. It's a thing, industry is moving back to North America. One of the things we pride ourselves on is that 60% of our projects are basis of design, meaning that the client selected our design and therefore cannot go to anybody else except us. Interesting. Like we want that design and boom, uh, at that point, it's just a matter of us not committing an unforced error because we have no competitor at that point. In entrepreneurship, we go through a phase of being generic, you know, I'm, I'm selling plumbing services or I'm selling on Amazon or whatever it is. But over time, you want to get to where you are unique. That I think is, is what we're all aiming for. Um, so that you, you, first of all, the margins are typically higher. I have a nephew who does very well on Amazon with um, psoriasis creams and he's just become he's moved beyond having the private label lab do it for him you know he's he's wow. now doing it you know so y- y- over time you move into that phase of of really controlling your supply chain and doing more of it yourself a good friend of mine sold his amazon business there was a, that big roll up that occurred in the last two three years and and by the way the the roll ups are having a hard time because guess what those individual amazon businesses are doing well because the entrepreneur paid so much attention so focused and you can't just you know aggregate them all and make them work yeah so they're learning hard the hard way but anyway he he had good had a good exit and now he's starting a fresh venture where he's going more supply chain he's doing stuff much earlier in the supply chain right Uh, as opposed to just buying product from china and part of that of course is this amazing deglobalization trend that's happening it's a thing reshoring as we call it is that Industry is moving back to North America. Uh, there's a very good geopolitical strategist called Peter Zihan. He says, look, here's what's going to happen. As industry moves back, it's going to create a huge boom in America from building all those manufacturing plants and having a supply chain that's not 5,000 miles away. It's 200 miles away right. in Mexico or whatever. He says this, that after the you know, next five years is going to be tough, but then there's going to be 20 years of incredible prosperity for the North American region. Now, hard times for China, hard times for other places, no question. But deglobalization will favor North America. And that's something to think about when you go, well, what am I going to do? Well, there's going to be a need. Those factories are going to be built modern, automated, minimal labor. That's how they'll be competitive in this market, especially since Mexico already has a shortage of skilled labor today, right now, because it's already happening. And so... In our case, we're already planning to make sure that every one of those factories has integrated water treatment because there won't be the facilities. It'll be in the middle of Mexico or South Texas or whatever, and there won't be the facilities. Integrated water treatment is the thing of the future.
I've been talking about reshoring a lot because we already are seeing a tremendous move towards that. The world is is turning into a riskier place because you know we had all the disruptions of COVID, but now we're having all the disruptions because of conflict in the Panama Canal running dry. And by the way, the inside story on that is that they made the Panama Canal bigger and it's drain, draining that big lake that feeds the Panama Canal. It's being drained faster. So it's kind of a self-owned problem. But the Panama Canal can only take so much business. The Suez Canal is effectively closed. So more and more factors are causing industry to go, whoa, we're going to go do things locally. And we can. Why? Because we are not so dependent on cheap labor. We've got robots, AI, automation, and these. this will happen very, very quickly. There'll be a rapid spread of manufacturing, especially in northern Mexico and southern Texas and southern, you know, the, the, the border, the border states on both sides, some in, some in Canada, but really I think it's going to be very strong in the border states. And that is going to lead to a tremendous demand for infrastructure, roads, energy, and of course, water, which we believe will be co-located with these factories. Very, very exciting prospect. And, and of course, there's that whole data center boom, which I've been talked about separately. Amazing times. All right. We have arrived at the free willing discussion. Well, you had some earlier engagements and um, you- I made it home. And so uh, what happened was dinner was wrapping up and I was like, crap, I have enough time to get back to the uh, free willing discussion instead of doing it in my car, doing it you know, at my, at my home office. So here I am. Fantastic. I reviewed the revenue story in, in great detail. Sure. And well, I'll show you the money shot so that you can catch up on that. And, and then we can- further discuss things. But basically, this is how it's coming in. Right there, 6,862,000 versus 7,337, about a $470,000 shortfall. Now, which was, was has been powered by, as I pointed out, PWT was largely flat. They were absorbing that huge amount of work from last year. But MWS rose. Mm. And that that was the real story. And then onward and from there. You see it flip the following year. Look at that flip. Exactly. Right. That's huge. Ex the, scale, that the scalable model starts to scale, right? Yeah. Which and they are they are recruit they are yeah. moving extremely fast, recruiting as fast as, as they can. MWS progressive water is a slower growth because everything's custom. Everything's custom. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like when they used to make cars by hand, you know, the the craftsman would come to the car. Well, in, of course, modern Ford assembly, uh, the car came to the craftsman, and that is modular water. So we have a tale right. of two cities here. Anyway, so it lo it's looking really great. And I was able to discuss the, you know, what, it, what I posted on about, remember that All In podcast where they discussed about the new thing is not VC but it's these alt models and that discussed the, the crowdfunding hybrid with regulation A unaccredited sure. with regulation D accredited and how this is. And I, I have some. And my reX was, was basically saying, look, even, even financing is becoming more decentral. Like the day of the one, you know, one location for all fine. I mean, that, that was the reality for decades. Right. And you want to talk about, 
you know, the craftsman coming to the work or whatever. This is you went and schlepped yeah, and they call you. You went and schlepped to New York and you did your road show. You put on your tap shoes. Right. And you sang to you sang to the crowd. So this birth of alternative media that we're now essentially marinating in X and, 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 and rumble and all this other stuff that we're, we're advertising on that had, that's only one facet of how the world is decentralized and the, the world is defying, right? You know, we basically, you know, forever, you know, that whole forever water uh, concept that you brilliantly came up with. Well, that applies to communication, entertainment, and now finance. I think that when you demonopolize all of these spheres, you're going to create far more wealth because it won't be so concentrated. You know, we want to make, what do we want to do? We want to make, you know, 10 million millionaires. We don't want to make a trillionaire, right? So, and, and I, I really think that this sort of decentralized funding is really the only way for that to happen. Now, of course, big players, we're not, we're not dissing them. We're simply saying they will come along in, in, at the time that's appropriate for them. Right. But the chance to put people like guys like us. Right. I mean, we don't get pre VC deals thrown. We don't. I know we tried. Right. Um, but, you know, to to put people in front of these in front of the big money is really kind of it's kind of fun. And I think it's very exciting. And, and I think it can if done correctly. And we're you know, we have to we're kind of you're, you're talking about we were piloting the monster. We're, pi you know us and others are piloting this new reality. So there'll be some experiments and some missteps. The more that people do it, the more that people tread this, this, you know, this path, it'll become, you know, kind of a, a one, two, three type of approach. And it'll, it'll be kind of a standard operating procedure. Yeah. That was this, um, Joby air taxi acquired by Apple for $92 billion. And that was a crowdfunding project, right? Crazy. So I wonder when, so the acquisition was 92 billion. Did we get any, did you have any intel on what the original raise was, the crowdfunding raise? It probably was only, it had to be under 75 million because it was a reg A plus, right? Or was yeah, it reg CF? No, it, it would have been like, for example, Nightscope with a K, Nightscope, the, they did 120 million. That was multiple oh. reg A's. Okay. So okay. I don't actually know. I would have to uh, research right. it, but it's definitely, if these guys who are some of the smartest people in the, in, in the, in the, in the venture capital world, you know, they, they literally fund hundreds of deals. Right. But you're probably still only looking at maybe a couple hundred million, which in Wall Street terms is not a lot of money. A couple hundred million. Yeah. No, no question. To sell a company for 92 oh, no. billion. Right. No, it, it was, this is the amazing part is that, look, the VC model is throw things at the wall and make sure they stick. Right. And they get, they're happy if they get on one out of 10. With, with the crowdfunding model, the alt funding model that we use, mm -hmm. you can be sure you will achieve success. And these guys here are talking about what they're doing on their side, starting with these cheap seed rounds that get profitable quickly by leveraging a, a low overhead with the outsourcing. Right. And so they don't have to lay off a bunch of people if there's a problem and a lot of AI. So there's, there's this new highly mobile model. And, you know, we're going to be moving very quickly with, with our planned acquisitions, which is really going to be our secret sauce as, as the most immediate thing we do going forward. So that's, that's the picture. And I just wanted to bring up the, how to talk to you. There we go. Cause we always got to let people know. 
But um, Ken is available to discuss these things in greater detail. <laughs> uh, actually, I'll be in the office tomorrow, but I'm doing some of that, you know, some of that creative stuff that we had discussed, right? Uh, I'm, what I'm really doing is I'm putting the bricks in place for our full-throated, full-throttled kind of, you know, return on on the second and third, right? My my calendar for the first week of January is literally, it's legit full. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to take this, you know, this kind of soft time and and be prepared to to really be able to, you know, I'm I'm constantly working on how to communicate what we do as succinctly and as distilled a fashion as I can. That's always, it's a challenge because, you know, it's a, it's a complex idea. And, you know, I, I, I said to you today on the phone, if you have to explain the joke, it's not funny. So, you know, it, it, if you, if you spend more time explaining what that first sentence means, you kind of lose, you know, you lose a lot in your communication. So, you know, I'm going to continue to work to try to distill our communications, not simplify, but distill them. And to make them, you know, really ring. And and that's what I've been working on this week. Right. Well, excellent. I'm very pleased with uh, how things are going, Ken, uh, with you and your whole team. We really, you know, I think hitting it all cylinders. AJ has been an amazing asset. Josh, of course, Josh Will on social media. We have Svetlana, who is handling a lot of the appointment setting. Devin Angus is the the whiz of shareholder relations. And, you know, we have... More Charles people. Phillips, of course, Charles Phillips on your side, who is with with that separate company that yeah. does the uh, the uh, yeah he's been he's been keeping busy yeah great guy so I think we have an exciting year ahead I know that we are going to blow it out I already know it and the main reason why is because we have truly amazing investors. Go ahead and click on that, fill out your Zoom survey, and we read these very carefully. So please don't hesitate. It's really, really appreciated. So with that, I am going to sing Old Lang Syne. No, I'm not. And lest old acquaintances be forgot. I forget how the words go. And never brought to mind. There you go. So let's have an amazing year ahead. Oh, wait. Well, there's, whoa, there's, com there's comments. There's a couple of questions that just popped up. Hello, so second. Bill Lucas, yes. Hi. Happy New Year to you too, sir. Oh, where's the girl representative that was the face of the company? Is she still on? Here's what we learned is that it's all about the facts, ma'am. And so we are, we've learned that investors are impatient with the, we would love to have more, more women in the, in the company, but in engineering positions, right. You know, and accounting. In fact, we're, we're going to be adding an HR consultant Who's, who's a woman, more, more, more better, better, more. Um, Svetlana, of course, at my point, et cetera. So, but we, we really learned that what people need is substance. And so that was a, it was a great adventure. We had a lot of fun with it. But at the end of the day, we, we decided that we wanted to stay very sober and serious <laughs> and fact, right. and we're not very distracting to look at, so that helps. Right, exactly. You don't, you don't have to like. You won't be gawping at us. Well, I hear that a lot. I hear I am a little distracting, but I try to. Ooh. I, I try not to. Ah, uh, yes. Try not uh, to take it too personally. Marcus Walker says, "My question, but what is my what is your question?" I don't know what your question was, Marcus. All right, Happy New Year, Gene Tully, Keith. Love the cookies. Glad you love the cookies. And Charles 
thanks. Good year. It was great. And here's to the next one. I am so happy that you guys and gals are with us. And 2024 and is going to be so freaking good. Buckle, buckle up. Buckle up. It's going to be great. Thank you, Marcus. He, he typed the question earlier and we dealt with it. I'll, I'll share it with you. A very interesting question, but I don't want to bore everyone. I'll bring it up with Ken offline. Thank you, Marcus, for, for reminding me. All right, guys and gals. Happy New Year. Here's Good night. 2024. Happy New Year, everybody. Cheers.